0: As you are seated this morning, our sermon uh, scripture reading comes from Psalm 73, and this will be found on page 485 in your pew Bibles, if you're referencing that, or wherever you're referencing the psalm this morning, Psalm 73. Give attention, this is God's word, holy and fallible. Give attention now as we read it together. Truly. God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are, they are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in in them. And they say, how can God know Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked. Every morning, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them on slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when, no one, when like a dream when one awakes, O Lord. When you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. Hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. The grass withers and the flowers fade. Amen.
1: All right. Thank you, Bob. Um, I heard this uh, a podcast episode, actually, about um, a former producer of this American Life podcast who was wanting to start his own business. And uh, he somehow kind of amazingly got a meeting with one of the guys who founded Twitter massively successful you know, social media platform. And so he wanted to start, this guy, um, his name's Alex, wanted to start a podcast hosting business, and so he got this meeting with the guy who founded Twitter, a guy named Chris, or one of the guys who did, and he says, he kind of recounts that meeting and what happened to that meeting, and he said about halfway through it, he realized, like, this is going terribly. <laughs> this is really, really bad. Um, and he said, not only did I realize that, but halfway through it, he started coaching me on how to pitch it to the next guy that I pitched it to, because it was going so bad. Uh, but one of the things he said that he learned a lot kind of in that, in that meeting and, and what he told him, but um, the guy who started Twitter basically told him, it says, you have to create FOMO um, in people's hearts or the fear of missing out, what that stands for, F-O-M-O, the fear of missing out, that you have to create the fear of missing out, that you're going to be missing out on something um, to, to market this business to people. And so that's pretty foundational to being human, right? Like, we don't necessarily have trouble kind of conjuring that up in our hearts, um, that we can think about, like, well, what do I... <laughs> If I take this job instead of this one, what am I going to miss out on if I do this instead of this? Um, the, the great debate in our household right now is, well, if we have ice cream, what am I going to miss out if we don't get snow cones instead? Like, what are we missing out on? And we don't have a problem being afraid of what we don't have. And it's not a new problem, right? Um, Genesis 3, that's what Satan did. That's what the serpent did. he created the fear of missing out in Adam and Eve's heart. Like, hey, don't you want to eat this fruit? of the knowledge of good and evil? Like, don't you want that? Um, You're missing something that you don't have. This is not a new thing. Um, And it works because we kind of see that bright, shiny fruit, and it makes it attractive, right? But things are not as we seem, and and things are not as they seem, excuse me. And you see that in in Psalm 73. You see that. One more quick story. But you see that in the new, well, new-ish Disney movie, Encanto, the things are not what they seem, right? You start the movie off, you see Mirabelle, and she's kind of like the loser of the family. Um, She doesn't have a gift. It doesn't seem like she has a gift. It seems like she's kind of the one that everybody has pity on. You hear about this Bruno who nobody wants to talk about, and you think that, like, he just seems like he's evil. He seems like he hates the family. He seems like he wants to destroy the family, but things are not as they seem. What you find out is that hey, Mirabel is actually the most important person. Like she's the one who can actually bring the family together. And Bruno didn't run away and like because he hated the family. He left because he loves the family and has been like trying to work to keep them and keep that house together. Things are not as they seem. And I say that because I think that's what Asaph is realizing in Psalm 73. That he's kind of telling his story. Um, Asaph, one of the um, uh, who works in the temple? Um, he he sees what's happening, and he's very honest about what he says. You now, verses one and two are kind of a, a trailer with the spoiler alert. Um, he says, "God is really good, but my foot almost slipped. Following the way of, of God, my foot almost slipped." So, we're gonna look at Asaph's story and what he saw, and like what he as things weren't what he thought they in, uh, they didn't they weren't as they, as they seemed. Um, so three things we're going to look at. One, what he thought. Second, what he searched. And third, what he saw. So first thing, what he thought. What he thought. So Asaph starts just very clearly and honestly in verse 3 and says, hey, I was jealous. I was envious of the wicked. I saw what they got. Um, I saw the, the spoils of this world that they got, and I was envious. Dan Allender in his great uh, book on the Psalms says that envy is the desire for what another has that we don't have, it is a resentful desire. So what did he resentfully desire? Um, he's confessing it before God and, and also for us to, to see and read today here as well. So the first thing that he's resentfully desiring is their prosperity, their prosperity. He looks around verse three, he says, "They were wealthy as the world defines it." Verse four says, "Because of that, they have no struggles." Verse five. Because of that, they're also free from just the common human burdens. Verse twelve. They don't care about anything except for just making more money, and they can do it. They're wealthy enough to live comfortably. They're wealthy enough to have uh, a car and a nice car, um, in fact. So he's he's envious of their prosperity. He's envious of their physical health. Uh, Verse 4, their bodies are healthy and strong. Verse 5, they're not plagued by human ills. Verse 12, they're always free of care and worries. Um, They can... I saw a meme about Tom Brady, um, greatest quarterback, and some say athlete ever play athletic sports. Um, But it showed a picture of him when he was like a 21-year-old a college student who's going into the NFL draft and then now is, like, a 45-year-old, you know, future Hall of Fame quarterback. Um, but it showed that the 21-year-old picture of a, the, him in college is just, like, he's just kind of this, like, pudgy dude who just, like, your random, like, college bro. But then, like, now he's this 40, 45-year-old superstar who looks like a... who is a male model. Um, and the, the meme said... <laughs> Tom Brady is proof that you're not ugly, you're just poor. (laughs) Um, And so that's what Asaph is saying in here. He's like, hey, they have... I'm envious of them to have the money, the time, um, to have the health, um, and to do the things that he wanted. He was also envious of their autonomy. That they could do whatever they want. They could do whatever they wanted with seemingly no consequence. Because it says in verse 6, they wear their pride... (laughs) They wear their pride as a necklace. It's something they're proud of. Um, they boast for everyone to see. Verse 7, out of their hearts uh, comes sin. There's no limitations on them. Verse 8, they say whatever they want. They, they speak malice. They, they threaten oppression. They're bullies. And he says, they can just do whatever they want. And I want to do that. <laughs> he says, they can do whatever they want. And he is envious of them. What he's doing is he's looking around and he's seeing in the world around him, all these things that he thinks he wants, that he thinks look really good, that he thinks are actually going to satisfy him. Um, he's seeing the, the glory of man. Or in seminary, one of my professors was talking about kind of his experience in college, and, and he became a Christian in college, and he said that there was a, a young lady who was like kind of missed campus ministry uh, leading Bible studies, like very evangelistic, like outreach, doing all sorts of stuff like that. And, but she didn't grow up in a Christian home, and her parents weren't fans of her Christianity. And as she was about to graduate college with a lot of debt, uh, her father said to her, said, I will pay your debt, and I will buy you a house if you give up this Christianity thing you've been doing. And she said, yeah. Asaph is looking at that house, that debt-free life, those riches, and thinking, that looks good. That looks good. And if we're honest, we get that, don't we? We get that. We drive down, you know, you drive down 55 or 61, 49 in, in Cleveland, uh, in the Delta, and you think, like, man, that is a nice new car in my 2015, however-year-old car. Um, I, I want that. Um, You see like the the new shiny house or job or whatever it may be and think, I want that. You see people who can just kind of say whatever they want without consequence and think like, man, I wish I just had that kind of freedom, air quotes. Um, We long to be a part of some sort of group and are willing to, as C.S. Lewis talks about in his uh, essay, The Inner Ring, that we're willing to sell out or gossip or whatever it might take um, to be a part of it, that we look around and we see the spools of being in social circles or money or power or whatever it is and think, man, that looks good. That's what Asaph's doing. That's what he's identifying in himself, but I think if we're honest, we can also see, um, see that in us and kind of adopt that, another lie we believe, that the end justify the means. Um, the ends justify the means, which isn't, isn't biblical, and it's not the way of Jesus. So the first part of Asaph's story is what he saw when he looked around the world around him and saw all those good, thing, good things that he wanted. The second thing, second point, second thing we're going to look at is what he searched. <clears throat> what he searched. So after looking outwardly at the wicked and seeing what's going on in the world around him, um, he starts to look inwardly at himself, starting in verse 13 which echoes verse 1. It says that he pursued purity of heart. He's pursuing innocence. Uh, But instead of getting the spoils that the people around him have gotten, what he's getting is punishment. (laughs) And he's being afflicted. Um, And then he says about about that, he says, "'If I had spoken with arrogance and malice "'like the wicked did,' in verse 8, "'if I had threatened oppression like the wicked, "'if I had insulted and belittled God "'like the wicked did,' what would I be doing? I'd be betraying God's children. I'd be betraying God's children. I'd be speaking out against my own brothers and sisters in Christ and tearing apart the unity that Jesus actually longs for and wants for us. And he knew he couldn't do that, but he also didn't understand. Um, He knew he couldn't follow that way, but he also didn't understand why all this stuff was happening to him. And so he was deeply troubled and having kind of an internal struggle. You know, if if this was a 1990s cartoon... (laughs) You would see the, the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other kind of harping at him like, you know, just do these bad things and you'll get all the good stuff that you really want. And then like, well, there's purity and innocence that we should be pursuing in righteousness. Um, this is Psalm 1. There's a fork in the road. Which way are we going to take? Are we going to walk in the way of the wicked? Or are we going to walk in the paths of righteousness that Jesus has set before us? And that's what Asaph is struggling with. Uh, with here. Um, Where do I go? (laughs) Which way do I follow, the way of the wicked or the way of the righteous? And I think that's another thing that we can very much, like, identify with, right? Um, The the way that God has set before us, there's, like, we know, like, (laughs) you know, uh, we're sinful, and we're not omniscient, um, and we lack wisdom in in some ways. um, But a lot of times, let's just be honest, when we like follow the way of the wicked, we know exactly what we're doing, right? <laughs> we know we're choosing that. We're like, you know what? I shouldn't have these five extra Oreos, but I'm going to choose to have those five extra Oreos. Amen? Um, we have that decision before us. We can identify with Asaph, like, hey, there's, there's a way that leads to death. And there's a way that leads to life. Um, we have that decision before us as Asaph does as well. And maybe it's helpful to think about that. I think it is helpful to think about that. Of what are the ways in which that I can see myself choosing the way of the wicked? Russell Moore, I've never done this before. Let me caveat this. Uh, I've never actually done this before when I've done premarital counseling. Um, But Russell Moore talks about, um, and he wrote a book several years ago about temptation. Um, And he talks about in his premarital counseling that he sits down with the couple and says, like, hey, I want, you to, I want you to think about and describe a situation in which you could envision yourself cheating on your spouse. Um, and that may not be, like, the best lunch conversation after church, but um, I think it is helpful to think about where we're tempted to follow the way of the wicked um, and identifying that and knowing, like, hey, my temptation to, to gossip and having an escape plan, a literal escape plan of, like, guarding my heart um, when I feel like that begins to happen. Or I know my temptation that after I've had a long day, I'm going to look to you know, these certain substances and go to the fridge or go to the computer or go to whatever it may be, and I'm going to go look to those things to deal with the difficulty in my life. Um, and naming that and having an escape plan of like, hey, I'm going to not choose this way of the wicked, but instead the way of Jesus, the way of the righteous. Um, so Asaph saw, the, saw the, the glory of man that people are getting around him by doing bad things. He, he, he searched his own heart. And then the psalm ends with what he saw and kind of the conclusion of where he came to. Um, and here's what he saw, what he found in his searching. So in his internal struggle, and in his crisis of faith, he did a, a, a great thing. He, he went to church. He went to church to try to figure out an answer, and then you get to verse 17, and he says, that's when I understood. That's when I understood what this, the purpose of this life. Now, think about this, uh, think back to that time, if you went to a sanctuary, to the temple to worship back then, imagine, like, the scene around you. Imagine the scene, you'd walk into the temple, and you'd hear people, like, singing praises, um, and like shouting, crying, laments to God. You would see and smell like billows of smoke rising in the air. Um, you, would, you would smell like the burning flesh of the sacrifice that was causing that smoke, the sacrifice that was there to atone for your sins. And so that's when Asaph walked into the temple and saw the sacrifice. He said, now I understand. Now I understand the life that I want to live in my sinful nature, like that's what that sacrifice is paying for, to give me the life that I have in God. It made sense to him why choosing righteousness is better than choosing what's, what's easy. Because those things, those easy things, those things that we look around and see and, and want, those things require a sacrifice. Um, that living how you want to live, doing what's easiest for you, getting the things that you want that will seemingly make you happier, tainted with sin. And those have to be paid for. Sin has to be paid for. And what made Asaph joyful was God's grace to him in paying that price for his sin. That he didn't have to pay for what verse 21 and 22 says bitterness, senseless, being an ignorant brute beast against God. He's joyful and he's thankful. Because he's seeing, like, hey, my life is not going to be taken from my sin. That there's another in my place who's going to be taken. And not just this animal, but it's actually, it's pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus so that in verses 23 and 24 it can be said uh, about you and me, yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory Asaph makes this realization. He's kind of pulled back into reality of a life in Christ. Um, the wicked claim <laughs> the goodness of heaven and earth in verse 9. But what Asaph says in verse 25, he says, Hey, nothing on this earth compares. Nothing compares. Like the joy of that, that, that meal, the joy of, of that uh, money, the joy of that power, the joy of that entering that social club, whatever it may be, like nothing on this earth compares, my heart will stop beating, my flesh will turn to dust, but God is my rock and my portion forever. Asaph is giving his testimony. He's telling his story. And he learns that nothing, nothing is better than Christ. Um, The life that Jesus offers is infinitely better than a comfortable couch and a weighted blanket and Netflix. Um, This makes sense to him. This makes sense to him Um, because he saw the sacrifice. He saw the punishment that he deserved being meted out on someone else so that he could have life. Have we seen that? Have I seen that? Have we seen that? Because we haven't, we are going to be susceptible to falling prey to that American dream version of Christianity. And if, if, if that's it, if that's all there is, if that's the case, then, yeah, maybe that, you know, couch and blanket and Netflix is going to look pretty good, um, but it can't pay for your sins. It can't give you life. It can't give you joy. It can't give you fellowship with Christ, and it sure won't outlive you. What Asaph uh, saw and searched and what he eventually came to realize is that this life in Christ, like, yes, it's hard. Yes, he experienced affliction. He experienced... Um, uh, being an outcast in in many ways. But he realizes it's worth it. And that's the beauty of this passage, because what he realizes is it's worth it. that's from his perspective. What about God's perspective? That God looks at Asaph, and he sees the choices he's trying to make, and he looks at you, and he sees the choices he's trying to make. And as Asaph said, he's worth it, God looks at you, and he says, you're worth it. You're worth me being that sacrifice uh, for you to have life and fellowship with me. That's the message of the gospel, that Jesus has provided that for you because you're worth it. Not because of anything we've done, but because he loves you. But because he loves you. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you willingly became that sacrifice so that we might have life and have it abundantly in you. Lord, I pray that as we can get tempted and we can look around and see the things of this world and be distracted and, and long, for, um, long for those things, Lord, I pray that you would help us remember your great love for you, that we can follow you in the way of righteousness. Lord, and not the way of the wicked. Thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Look and see what's next. I should have...